Hey everybody, this is Jamie Nunley, lead pastor of Victory Fellowship Church. Thanks for listening to the VFC Sermon Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our free VFC Thomasville app, where you can access all of our messages, sermon notes, announcements, and small group lessons. This app is the easiest way to keep up with everything going on here at VFC. So please enjoy the following sermon. We hope it encourages you in your walk with Jesus and helps you to belong, believe, and become. Enjoy. Good. Did y'all see Tiff's boots? I got, oh, okay. No, cool. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, so I gave her those boots. She bought them herself. She just told me that I gave her those boots for Christmas. So good job, me. How many of you are wearing stuff that you just opened this morning? Yeah, a few of you. Cool. How many pajamas do we have going on? We got a pajama row there, there, front row. Awesome, awesome. I, I thought, man, we should have just made this a pajama morning. I, I just, I didn't think of it in time. So, um, well, hey, thanks for being here. So glad that you guys are here to worship Jesus as we celebrate his birth. Man, the incarnation, God becoming a man, fully human, fully God for our sake, bridging the gap between heaven and earth, becoming one of both at the same time. It's powerful. It's incredible. I mean, it really is. It's a, it's a, it's a concept that's unbelievable. Um, and and it's, it's amazing how he pulled this whole thing off, this rescue mission. Uh, we were in our sin. We were, uh, we were just in rebellion. We were angry. We were sad. We were mad. We were all these things. And then Jesus came. But he didn't come kicking down doors <laughs> and with a machine gun like the rescue missions we watch on TV. He came as a humble child, born to peasants, people who didn't have anything, people who had no last name that you would want to drop. He then uh, announced the coming king to shepherds, normal people. Shepherds were not any big deal. A lot of people would be a shepherd. Moms wouldn't brag to the other moms about their son being a shepherd. And then he appeared to outsiders uh, the, the, uh, the kings, right? The, the, the wise men, the magi, they, they were not Jewish. As a matter of fact, they were pagan, and the way that they discovered Jesus was through their pagan means of astrology. Yet God was talking to them too. He came for all. He came for me, he came for you, he came for everyone. No one is excluded, no one is too far gone. He's so good. He's so good to us. So we're going to continue our series. We're actually going to end our series called Hope for the Holidays. Now, when I was planning this series, uh, I, I, I was kind of figuring out what, what the Lord wanted to do through this. I knew we were needed to talk about hope. And we needed to talk about hope. And so I started planning this series, Hope for the Holidays. And I realized that, that the last topic I needed to address was doubt. And I realized that the sermon for doubt fell on Christmas Day. So Merry Christmas, let's talk about unbelief. (laughs) And I was like, really, Lord? And he didn't say anything because you don't argue with God. You just do what he does, uh, what he says to do, so you can see how he works. 
So let me go over in case you've missed some of it. I just want to do some quick review on this series before we get into it. The first week we lo- we learned that hope, just like faith and love, remains. Hope remains. It's one of those things we will not only experience here on earth, we'll experience in heaven, just like faith and hope. Uh, faith and love. So hope is one of those things that we can experience now and will experience later. What is hope? Hope is the confident, patient expectation that something good is going to happen. Sometimes you're walking around in hope. You know what that feels like. It's great. Other times you're hopeless and you just don't feel like anything good is going to happen. You've lost your hope. We need hope. We're wired for hope. Scripture says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And no hope leads to emotion sickness. Many times we wonder why we're snapping at people, why we're not happy, why we're uh, doing some of the stuff we're doing. We know we shouldn't be doing this because of a lack of hope in our lives. We've lost our hope. When you don't have hope, when you're walking in hopelessness, the first thing that happens is disappointment. And we talked about this. Disappointment is when uh, what you hope for isn't what happens or what you thought and what you got. This is, this is disappointment. And we have disappointments all the time, right? People say things, they do things, they don't say things, they don't do things. Our expectations are not met. When you experience disappointment, you make an appointment. You make an appointment with God. You remember his goodness. You thank him for being who he is. You get into his presence because in his presence is fullness of joy. And then you make an appointment with yourself. And you kind of shake yourself a little bit and you say, hey, self, get it together, man. You're disappointed. That's okay. It's all right to be honest and admit that you're disappointed, but don't stay there. And you remember God's faithfulness and God's goodness. If you don't check your disappointment, though, you move into discouragement. And we talked about discouragement last week. It was such an encouraging week last week as we talked about discouragement. Discouragement is when you've lost your confidence, you've lost your resolve, and hope begins to fade, and inaction, that's the key, inaction sets in. Discouragement is like wearing disappointment glasses. It shades everything you see. And and something good may be happening, and you're thinking, okay, what's the catch? Right? Because, Because you're now walking in discouragement. We have to defy discouragement like the bully that it is, and in order to defy it, we have to remember who we are. We have to remember whose we are. And you just got to commit to not quit. You just got to make the commitment. This stinks. I don't feel it right now. I'm not, don't feel close to God. I'm not even totally sure I'm going in the right direction, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. So today we're going to talk about doubt. Now that may seem a little odd to talk about doubt at Christmas, but It's not at all. The world that Jesus was born into was a world filled with doubt. It's actually a time that scholars call the intertestamental period. In other words, if you're thumbing through your Bible, you get to the end of the Old Testament. The last book is Malachi. And you finish Malachi, there's a page usually that says the New Testament. You flip it over and then there's Matthew chapter 1. And it talks about the birth of Jesus. That one page that you flip, though, represents 400 years. 
400 years of silence by God. Now, things happened. Uh, the Maccabean Revolt, if you're a history buff, you might know about that. It's actually some of the stuff that, that created the, the holiday of Hanukkah. But, but, but as far as like God speaking through people and, and, and having letters and books written about what God is doing and saying, it's silent for 400 years. That's, if a generation is 40 years, it's 10 generations. That means that God was not speaking since your great, 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 great grandmama was on the earth. That's a long time. Think about how long 400 years is. 400 years ago would still be 130 years before electricity was invented. How many of you were thankful for electricity this weekend? Yeah, and hot water. Thank you, Jesus. So thankful. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the water utility company is like, just, yeah, baby, they're dripping their faucets this weekend. <laughs> Christmas bonus. <laughs> hey, whatever it takes to not bust those pipes, right? But electricity, it would still be 130 years. You know, the United States, our country... I mean, think way back when, George Washington, Ben Franklin, those guys. The U.S. is only 250 years old. This is 400 years. I just want you to understand what a large gap of time 400 years is. And when God is not talking, God is silent, you know doubt sets in. You know what actually did set in is dead religion. Because the world that Jesus was born into, the one with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and all this ornate religious decoration and buildings and stuff, that all happened when God wasn't speaking. Because that's what religion is. It's a spiritual panic attack. Where we, we know something's wrong, so we start trying to dance the dance and sing the song. Yeah. And so, so religion, Judaism, cropped up during this time. And so we need to understand This was a time, Christmas Day, when Jesus was born, was a time of great doubt. Great doubt. Let me give you a definition for doubt. Doubt is uncertainty rooted in fear, pain, or discouragement. It's uncertainty rooted in fear, pain, or discouragement. Doubt, we misunderstand this, doubt is not a lack of belief. Doubt is an incorrect belief. Think about it. If you doubt God's goodness, you're thinking the wrong thing. If you doubt God's existence, you still believe something. You're just believing the wrong thing. If you doubt that God loves you, if you doubt that God hears you, if you you think that God has forgotten you, you're walking in doubt, but you're not believing nothing, you're believing the wrong thing. And so doubt is believing the wrong thing. But it's rooted in fear, pain, or discouragement. Now, we're all susceptible to doubt. It's like the thing that Christians refuse to talk about. Like, well, I don't doubt. Well, good for you. But most people do. 
Most people have moments throughout their faith, throughout their life, when they struggle with doubt. Certainly the people of God were experiencing this when Jesus showed up. There are times when we are more susceptible to doubt. Fear, pain, and discouragement. Think about this. If you struggle with deep thinking, constant thinking, mind traffic, y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, no, I'm great. Cool, we'll talk about you in a second. <laughs> but just the constant processing of information and thinking, and some of us, we go to like worst case scenario immediately, right? Like, oh, the kids are coming home for Christmas. What if they die? Like, that's immediately where you go, right? So that is fear. That constant mind racing is a symptom of fear. It, it also, doubt is common among people who are more intellectually given. Like they, they just think they want to know the facts. It's fear of not knowing the truth. And so they doubt. And so deep thinkers, intellectuals, anyone with the fear of being wrong, the fear of not knowing enough, you might be susceptible to doubt. Remember, fear, pain, and discouragement. People who've been wounded, especially by the church, are susceptible to doubt. When, you, when there's pain, when you've been hurt, disappointed, and discouraged because of people at the one place you shouldn't be hurt, church, it can create doubt. And you begin to apply, and you know, well, God didn't do this to me, but the people who talk about him did. And, and so you begin to question, right? You begin to think, gosh, in my pain, I'm finding doubt set in. Discouragement. People who've been through trauma, people who've been through life-changing trauma. Things didn't work out the way you wanted to with a marriage, with a child, Chronic pain and sickness. These traumas, they make us discouraged and they can lead to doubt if we don't deal with it. We're all susceptible to doubt, but if you're in one of those categories this morning, I need you to understand, I'm, I, this is not to pile on or gang up or say there's anything wrong with you. It's just to let you know you're susceptible to doubt. Own it. Recognize it and begin to move out of it. Amen? Amen? How does God feel about our doubt? I mean, wouldn't that be, how does God feel about it? I mean, that's, let's just talk about that because doubt is something when we're, when we're operating in doubt, when we have doubt for whatever reason, fear, pain, discouragement, we want to hide. We want to hide it. Because in the church, we've assigned morality to doubt or immorality. In other words, we've said, if someone's struggling in their faith, you're bad. You're wrong. You shouldn't do that. Shame. Hasn't that been the church's response? Is that Jesus' response? Well, let's look at Scripture and find out, right? In Scripture, what we base our beliefs on? Well, look at John chapter 20. Jesus has died. He's risen again. And the disciples are there. Let's look what happens. Verse 19, that Sunday evening, this is after Jesus resurrected, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you. I, by the way, if I could have a spiritual gift, that would be it. 
just the ability to appear right in front of you all of a sudden. I would walk in on you while you're like watching Netflix or whatever. I'd be like, hey, peace be with you. You'd be like, ah, Lord, please. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. You bet they were. Verse 21, again, he said, they just watched him be crucified. Again, he said, peace be with you as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's the first time anyone ever got saved. Jesus finally died, resurrected, paid for their sin, blows the Holy Spirit, they're saved. Isn't that cool? Verse 24, oh, 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Now, in your Bible, New King James, King James, it'll say Didymus, uh, but that's the word twin. He had, a, it was his nickname, the twin, because he probably had a twin. I, that's, a, I think, a good inference. Um, he was not with the others when Jesus came. Verse 25, they told him, we've seen the Lord. They told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he, Thomas, replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, place my hand into the wound in his side. So here are all the disciples except for Thomas. Jesus shows up, boom, peace be with you, ah, right? And then he's like, it's, he's like, it's me. Here's the, here's the scars, right? It's me. Yay. I've risen. This is amazing. Oh, Thomas isn't here. So Thomas shows up later. They're like, dude, we saw Jesus. And Thomas is like, I don't believe it. Now, what do we often call Thomas? What's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. Y'all don't call that man Doubting Thomas. This is just one moment in his life, right? How would you like to be called after the worst thing you did, right? When you get up to heaven, you see him doubting. Thomas, don't say doubting, okay? He's not doubting anymore. As a matter of fact, according to tradition, he went down to South India and led a ton of people to Christ. Really cool. But he says, look, I don't believe it. Now, this would be a good opportunity for Jesus to say, Thomas, you should have had more faith. Thomas, you spent three years in active ministry with me. Your friends told you that they saw me. Why didn't you believe? You know what? I don't think you're cut out for this Jesus following thing anymore, Thomas. Just go. He could have said that. But what did he do? Let's keep reading. Verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus standing among them, peace be with you. I love that. Verse 27, then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Verse 28, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's you, by the way. You're blessed. This is, I don't blame Thomas at all. I mean, I, I'm on Thomas's side here. Like, if everyone says, Jesus, the guy you saw die, like, he's, like, we saw him, I'd be like, I don't know, guys. 
I need to see it for myself. No, it does get a little weird. He says, I have to stick my finger into the wound. I don't know what the payoff is for that. Did you hear that so-and-so got shot? I need to see the hole. And I need, I mean, that's just a little odd. But it's what Thomas needed, right? (laughs) So he has the opportunity to shame Thomas. But you need to understand, Jesus doesn't criticize doubt. He cures it. He doesn't place you in a category of second-class Christian. Oh, well, here's the doubting Christian. Here's the one that needed to see a little bit more evidence. Here's the one who didn't believe immediately. He didn't do that. He goes, I'll show you the wounds. I'll show you the wounds. Guys, Jesus is not intimidated by any doubt that you may have. He's, he's not, man, I hope they believe. I hope they believe. He's not intimidated by any doubt that you may have. He wants to cure it, not criticize it. He wants you to draw near to him in the midst of your doubt. Again, we, the church, because we're afraid of our own doubt, want to ostracize people who have doubt and push them away. That's not what Jesus did. We certainly don't need to, if someone comes to you and says, look, I'm struggling in my faith. You don't need to say, well, have more faith, brother. Like, that's not the solution. It's like telling someone that just broke their leg, well, don't feel pain, bro. Won't you tend to the wound? Won't you refer them to someone who didn't fix the broken leg? Right? Fix the problem. Don't shame the pain. So, how do we disarm doubt? We disarm doubt by embracing faith. We disarm doubt by embracing faith. Now, uh, I said disarm here on purpose. Doubt acts like a bomb. Like, if I think of disarming something, I think of a bomb. Doubt acts like a bomb, like it's just a ticking time bomb. And what we want to do if we're struggling with doubt is we want to push it away, and that's not there. It's going to go off. You have to diffuse. You have to disarm the bomb. You have to go up to it, look at it, even if you're scared, and deal with it. You have to disarm your doubt so it doesn't blow up your faith. Now, here's the problem. There's been some weird teaching on faith. (laughs) Weird teaching on faith. I need you to understand that faith is not mental certainty. Faith is not mental certainty. We think, we, we have been taught, many of us over the years, that faith is just really, 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 really believing something. It's like, you're, don't, don't give yourself a coronary, okay? That's not what faith is. It's not mental certainty. Faith is trust, powered by relationship, and evidenced by action. Listen to that. Faith is trust. Trust. Powered by relationship and evidenced by action. Best example I can give you is a key and a lock. Now, you guys, when you go home from here, from this meeting, you're, you're going to take out your key if you locked your door at home. If not, watch out. And you're going to stick the key into the lock, right? And you're going to turn. 
Now, faith is trust powered by relationship and evidenced by action, okay? So you trust that key. You take it out of your pocket and you trust that that key is going to open the lock. Why? Because you have a relationship with it. You've done it many times before. Are you with me? And, and so that's why you take, and it's, and it's evidenced by action. Because you have a relationship with that key and that lock, you're willing to take it out of your pocket. Are you with me? Okay? So that's how that works. You don't, you don't walk up to a locked door, pull out the key and say, I just speak to this key in Jesus' name. I just believe that it's going to work. Oh, Jesus, it's going to work. You don't, you don't work yourself into some kind of weird mental frenzy. I do believe it's going to work. I do believe it. No, it's powered by relationship, history, experience, and that leads you to action. That's what faith is. I've got another great example is marriage. Tiff and I have been married 24 years. I'm not married to Tiffany because I really believe I am. I'm married to her because we moved in together. We shared all our stuff together. We made a commitment in front of a bunch of people. We asked God to make us one, and then we started acting like we were. So it's not... If my marriage certificate, do we even have it? If, if, if it were to be destroyed, if you were to light our marriage certificate on fire, would we cease to be married? No. Why? Because it's, it's not because I really believe I'm married that I'm married. It's because there's a relationship. It's powered my relationship, and it's evidenced by action. We act like we're married. It's the same way. Let me ask you this. We're talking about faith. What faith is, powered by relationship, evidenced by action. Imagine there are two Christians. The first person, you say, are you sure that Jesus is the son of God? And then then that guy goes, yeah, 100% sure. Like 100% sure. I am sure that Jesus is the son of God. But then you follow him around all day, and he is using all sorts of bad language talking like everyone else, not even bad words. He's just like railing on people and being really harsh and mean and angry. And, and, and then he's, he's, he doesn't spend his money the way that, he spends his money the way the world does. He talks the way the world does. He does what the world does. He's cheating on his spouse. He's just all around a terrible guy, but he is 100% sure that Jesus is the son of God. Okay, that's one, that's person A. Person B, you ask her and you go, is Jesus the son of God? She goes, I struggle with that sometimes, but I'm sure enough that I'm continuing relationship with him. And you follow her around and she gets up in the morning and she reads scripture and she's talking to God throughout the day and she sees someone who, who needs help and gives of her money. She speaks kind words to other people. Who has more faith the second person. Now, the first person had mental certainty, but Jesus had not changed their life. There was no relationship. There was no action. The second person, their mental certainty wasn't all that high, but there was a relationship and there was activity. Are you with me? That second person's the one that had faith, not the first, even though they were mentally sure they had certainty. Besides, you don't like people who have mental certainty about everything. We call them arrogant. 
They're annoying. Oh, here comes Bob. He thinks he knows everything. Why would, we, why would that be our goal as Christians, as Christ followers? That's not what faith is. James 2.26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead, is pointless. That word means it's vain. It means it's pointless. There's no point in it to believe if there's no corresponding action. See, we think we need more faith, but that's actually not what Jesus says. Check this out. The disciples say, Luke chapter 17, 5 and 6, the apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. I think that's a good question. I think that's that's a pretty good question, right? How do we increase our faith? Notice Jesus' response here. He says this, the Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to that mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. So Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. You asked how to get more faith because it's not about the amount of faith. It's whether or not you use what you got. They they had the, the misunderstanding that I need more faith. He's like, no, you need to use what you have. It's not the amount of faith you have. It's the amount of faith you use because faith is trust powered by relationship and evidenced by action. Guys, you have faith. Start to use it. Start to act on it. This is how we disarm doubt. We continue to do those things we know God has called us to do, even even if our mental certainty is not 100%. We continue anyway. I want to end answering this question. How do we reconcile faith and doubt? I love this story in scripture. It's Mark chapter nine. Jesus has gone up on what they call the Mount of Transfiguration. This is where he goes with just a few of his closest disciples. And he like, like sheds his human form for a little bit. And it's like, God, 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 not God, man, right? It's like, right? And it's like, they're all just like, whoa. I love it because Peter I see myself in Peter a lot. Peter's like, this is amazing, man. We need to do something. And God's like, Peter, shut up. My paraphrase. But like, really, that's what happens. God's like, Peter, be quiet, dude. Look at what's happening. Just take it in. Meanwhile, there was a man with a son who was really sick. And he was actually demonized. An unclean spirit was in this child and was causing him all sorts of really, really bad physical problems. I mean, this is like he would have like, like these fits where he would be thrown into the fire. I mean, it was just really bad, this poor guy. So he comes to Jesus' disciples and says, hey, I need you to cast this demon out. The disciples couldn't do it. And so there's this big argument, like everyone's upset. The disciples are embarrassed probably, right? The scribes and Pharisees were right. They were like, see these Jesus followers, they're nothing. The man was like, man, I had all my hope on this. I thought this was going to work out. Everyone, it's like this big moment of doubt. And then Jesus comes up and says, what's, the, what's going on? And they explain what's happening because your, your disciples couldn't cast this demon out. And Jesus goes, oh, you have a little faith. He goes, oh, faithless generation. 
Just bring him to me. And then he, he asked a few questions. He cast the demon out and the boy's completely healed. Uh, but before he cast the demon out, Jesus says something interesting to the man, the father. He goes, he goes uh, do you believe that I can do this? And the man says this, verse 24, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now, if faith is mental certainty, it's just really being sure of yourself, really being sure of your beliefs, that statement makes absolutely no sense. Because you can't believe and have unbelief at the same time. You're either sure or you're not, right? But faith is not mental certainty. Faith is a relationship. It's powered by relationship and evidenced by action. So he says, Lord, I believe there is a relationship. There's action. I want you to help my unbelief. Guys, I think this is the pattern for how we deal with doubt. I think this is it. I think we can see really clearly here in scripture three things that happens. He professes his faith, he confesses his doubt, and he possesses his promise because Jesus heals the young man. Profess your faith, Lord, I believe. Confess your doubt, help my unbelief, and then receive your promise. Possess your promise, receive your healing, receive uh, forgiveness of your sin. Look, quit repenting of the same sin over and over and over and believe that God has forgiven you. Quit bringing it up. Believe. That's belief. That's true. It's evidenced by action. It's powered by relationship. Guys, today is the day that we celebrate Jesus being born. Where he came on a rescue mission to save you. He came to relieve you of any doubt. If you have any doubt this morning, what God thinks about you, I want to point you to Jesus. He did not have to come. He did not have to come in the way that he did. He could have come in kicking down doors. I mean, he could, have, he could have done that. He came in humility and said, would you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you do things differently than the way the world does them? Are you disarming doubt? Because here's the thing, I know we don't like to talk about it. Everyone has some doubt. Everyone has some doubt. Are you disarming it? Are you pushing it off to the side? Hoping it goes away? It won't go away. It'll just blow up eventually. Don't do that. Let's disarm our doubt this morning. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. Well, the heat works in here, you guys. It's, um, woof. It's like a sauna. Is it, is it hot? Is this me? Am I just preaching under? It's not the anointing. It's just, okay. <laughs> Take a moment. Close your eyes. Ask the Holy Spirit the question I just asked you. Am I disarming doubt? Am I, am I being honest with myself? Hey, if you struggle with doubt, Jesus is willing to show you the scars. He's not trying to shame you.
I want to lead us in a prayer where we let the Holy Spirit disarm our doubt. We profess our faith, confess our doubt, and possess our promise. If you will, pray this after me. Say, Father, I profess my faith in you. I'm trusting you for salvation, healing and deliverance in every area of my life. Lord, I also confess my doubt. I don't always believe the right thing. But I choose to trust you through the uncertainty and possess the promises that you have for me. Help me put action to the faith that I have. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I receive freedom from doubt. And I'm trusting in you because I know you're good. Thank you for sending your son to rescue me. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening to the VFC podcast. If you live in the Thomasville area, we would love for you to connect with us in person. For more information about our weekly gatherings, including service times and directions, just visit us at vfcthomasville.org.